Good morning. It is a blessing to be able to be in this house again this morning, and I'm thankful for each of you who are here. Trust that as we look into the Word together, that it will not just be a blessing for us. We're not here simply for a blessing, we're here to bless God. And as we study His Word together, I hope it's your goal and aspiration that it isn't just filling the time and checking the box, but rather you're here in order that God might be glorified and you in your walk with Him might be strengthened. I want to take some of the words of Jesus this morning out of the book of Luke and look at these from the standpoint of how we try to get around the teachings of Christ by making excuses. I want to begin in the 16th chapter of Luke. We have a lot of contemporary challenges to Christianity, to our fellowship with God, and especially to our completely without reserve fulfilling the gospel in our own walk. And I don't mean just we here, I mean Christians in general, I mean people. In the 16th uh, chapter of Luke, I want to read a few verses. Um, let's begin at the 14th verse. And the Pharisees, this is Luke 16, verse 14, and the Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Such are since that time. The kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to, fa to fall. Whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband committeth adultery. It, 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 there seems to be kind of a kind of a change in flow or something in, in the teaching of Jesus here. But if you if you look at the fifteenth verse, it says, Jesus said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. That is of a failing common to humans, and I think especially to Christians who know the law of God. You transition from the Old Testament to the New, there are a lot of things that were brought over. I think the New Testament is simply a completion of the plan of God in mankind. The Old Testament was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ to understand God and His character and His will for man more fully. But in the Old Testament, we have the Ten Commandments. And what were the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments showed very clearly who God is and what His expectations of mankind were. 
And in those Ten Commandments, you can find uh, the expectations of God, the commandments of God for his people. And one of them, Jesus reiterated here at the end of this little passage. He said to them, Whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband committeth adultery. So he has some very plain teachings that in which he reiterated the old law, brought them into the gospel of the new covenant, and, and, it, and it continues right down to our day today. It's still true. The problem is not that the teachings of Christ are so hard to understand. The teachings of Christ, rather, are hard to do. That's the problem. And we make excuses about these things. And one of the things that we do, when, when Jesus said here, whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery, and whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband committeth adultery, he's saying very clearly that God has an expectation in this thing of marriage. And the fact is that as we look at the, the, the institution of marriage, we also see that Paul equates the relationship between Christ and the church to that of a man and a woman who are married. And the, and the expectations of each of them within that relationship. So what happens is that when we get into these relationships, and, and we'll just take this one of, of marriage in the beginning of this, we have this institution of marriage in which we both stand before God and other witnesses and we make a vow to one another that we will be faithful until death. And, and then comes the hard part. Actually doing that. Actually living with one another in a relationship which reflects the relationship between Christ and the church. Or the church, if you will, and Christ. The relationship can be a complex one. And most marriages fall into a pattern of behavior based on the dynamics introduced by the personalities, the backgrounds, uh, the standards, the weaknesses, the outlooks, the fears, the goals, and so forth of two people. When you bring those two people of, of somewhat different backgrounds together, different families, different personalities, different view, views on issues, you bring them together and you, you leave them together for quite some time, uh, they begin to fall into a pattern of behavior. And those of you who are married know exactly what I'm talking about. You fall into patterns of, of speech and, and reaction to one another and so forth. And sometimes it's a good thing, but sometimes it can be at the point of or lead to conflict. People then make excuses for their failures within that relationship. Infidelities, arguments, passive-aggressive behavior, refusal to love or to respect, and so forth, based on the fact that two complex beings have developed a complex relationship. In other words, sometimes you'll hear when people get divorced, well, it, it's complex. The reasons for this are complex. And if you, would ask, if, if you would ask them, that would be their response. It's complex. The reality is that it's not so complex the reality is really that it's difficult. And so we begin to make excuses 
and we build upon the fact that we don't understand everything, and because of all of these different interactive dynamics within that relationship that we have failed in, then because it's complex, we give up. But I want to go back to a couple things here. And this is the problem with us. We lose sight of some very basic principles. The basic principle is that in the beginning, God saw Adam and he saw that it was not good for him to be alone, so he made a help meet for him. And he introduced to Adam by making Eve and introducing to her to him a, a help meet, a wife, a companion. And it was good until Satan got involved. And then it became complex. And that complexity, I'm sure, for Adam and Eve was no easier for them than it was for us today, except that <laughs> there wasn't anybody else to go to. Kind of hard for Adam and Eve to commit adultery. They had an advantage over us today. There's, what, 8 billion, 9 billion people or something in the earth? Lots of fish in the sea, isn't there? And so we have lots of choices, lots of opportunities. But what are the principles upon which marriage is based? It's based upon the wisdom of God in providing companionship for humans. He made us for relationships. And the relationships that we have, there are none more important, there are none more foundational or basic, there are none more intimate than that of a husband and wife. Best friends, business associates, neighbors, whatever it might be, our relationships, in our relationships, none are more important and basic to humanity than that of marriage. So when Christ says to these men, you are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. He says the same to every individual when we get into a marriage situation which we can't handle, which we are not willing to participate in, in a godly fashion. We begin to make excuses about the complexity of that. And we say, well, it's complicated. But the fact is that the principle upon which it is based that marriage is based, is not complicated or complex at all. It simply gives rise to a relationship which is difficult. And that we need to acknowledge. It's not the complexity that makes marriage hard. It's the difficulty that makes marriage hard. It's the difficulty of get along, getting along with one another. It's the difficulty of forgiving one another. It's the difficulty of understanding one another and living together in wisdom and understanding the wisdom of God in it. That's the difficulty. That's the complexity. And so we have to uh, not only understand that, but we also then have to live within it if we're going to live within the guidelines of Scripture. And that, I believe, is, is how you can link verse 18 with verse 15 in this Scripture. You are those which justify yourselves before men. What? How do they justify themselves? They make excuses, right? And so that applies to our marriages. We make excuses. I was nasty to my wife this morning because she did ABC. 
I was unkind and ungrateful or disrespectful to my husband because ABC. The principles in Scripture that apply to those aspects of our relationship are also very are, are also very clear. They're not complicated. The problems that we have as humans in living our Christian life is not that it's a complex situation, it's that it's a difficult situation. While the persons are complex, the relationship is complicated, the principle behind the institutions of marriage is not. God said it is not good for man to be alone. I will make and help me. And Jesus said what God has joined, let not men tear apart. Now, in other words, the problem is that we conflate the character of the relationship and the character of the principle. The, prin the relationship is complex, so must be the principle. But the principle is straightforward. God made marriage to benefit us and said to us, commit to making the relationship last all of your life while bringing peace and joy and all the good benefits of a marriage to your spouse. The principle is not complex but it is establishing a relationship which can be very difficult. And that's not to throw cold water on those of you who look forward to marriage. Just know that in marriage, there are situations which are difficult. So let's pass on to another subject. Go back to a couple of chapters to Luke 14. Luke 14, we'll begin reading at verse 7. And this is Jesus putting forth a parable again, and it says this in the 14th chapter, verse 7, And he put forth a parable to those which were bidden when he marked how they uh, chose out of the chief rooms, when he marked how they chose out the chief rooms, saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and him, and him come and say to thee. Let me read, let me, let me, my eyesight is getting bad enough that it's hard to read these things properly. And he that bade thee and him come and say to thee, give this man place and thou begin to shame, with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room that when he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever is exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. What is the principle that Jesus establishes here? The principle that Jesus establishes here is that we need to see ourselves in a realistically humble manner and not to try to exalt ourselves before mankind. I said earlier there's billions and billions of people upon the earth. The 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 Olympics uh concluded here earlier in the summer. And if you know anything about the Olympics, what you what you do know is that the people that participate in those are almost non-human. The abilities they have to run, to jump, to swim, to, to, to what, do whatever they do, so far exceed the normal person. 
that it's laughable for anyone to even try to mimic them. And, and, it's, and it's due in part, some of that is natural ability, but, but most of it is simply training, training their bodies, training, training, training their bodies over and over, day after day, year after year. And they train themselves to such a, an incredible degree that they become just superhuman in this one area, this, this, this one area, whether it's running, whether it's jumping, you know, the swimming, whatever it might be, they're just almost superhuman, unbelievable. Uh, you know, the thing that they can do in, in just uh, a minute or two would take you um, ten times that long. And when, when, when Jesus is talking about humility here, he's saying that regardless of what God, what gifts that God has given to you, you have an opportunity to show humility in that. We apply humility to those areas that we are bad at, right? So if I'm especially bad at something, I can, I can very easily be uh, humble about it. Because it's true, I'm bad at this, whatever it is. But, but if I excel at something, if I'm good at something, it's hard to be humble about that. Because we want people to see how good we are. We want people to think well of us. We think what we, we, we desire the respect of other people. And sometimes that which we are good at is so laughably unimportant and insignificant. And when, when, when we brag about this insignificant things, it, it makes people, rather than respect us, snicker. So we need a realistic view of ourselves. Jesus says, he gives this example. He says, the natural desire of someone is to be exalted before men. And so he says, he gives this example. He's sitting there watching this happening. He, he's observing something that he talks about. Because it says here in this verse, he put forth a parable to those which were bidden when he marked when he observed how they chose out the chief rooms. So they were coming to this event and they, they choose out the rooms with the most exalted people or uh, those with the, with the best education or those with the most money or whatever it might be. And they, they sorted themselves out according to what they felt they were worthy of uh, hobnobbing with. Those they felt they were equals or wanted to be equal. And Jesus says to them, when you are bidden of a man to a wedding, don't sit down in the highest room. So apparently there's various areas that they were segregated into, sort of self-segregation, according to their station in life, whether it was wealth or education or whatever it might be. Area that they were from? Tribe? I don't know what it was. But they were kind of segregating themselves. And he observed that there was some real competition going on among these people. And he, he, he says, he teaches them, he says, when you're bidden of any man to, to a wedding, don't sit down in the highest room because you might get bumped by somebody who has a higher station than you. Rather, if, if you want 
to be exalted, go sit in the go sit with the bums. And then when the guy that bid you to this event and a wedding in this case, when he comes and sees you sitting with the bums, he says, well, you're not a bum. You don't belong with them here. Sit with the super bums in the next room up, right? What's the failing in that? What is the failing in, in, in us doing what Jesus is talking about here? The failing is that we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. And, and we begin to make excuses about that too. You know, this is complex. Human interactions are complex. And stations in life are complex. And, and we, we stratify ourselves, don't we? Maybe subconsciously, maybe consciously, but we stratify ourselves in our societies, whether it's in our families, whether it's in the church, whether it's in our neighbors, in our neighborhood, even within business, we stratify ourselves. You know, if we're a middle manager, we hang with the middle managers rather than the uppity ups or with the, you know, the, the janitors. So Jesus says to us, don't think of this as some complex societal thing. There's a, there's a basic principle here. The basic principle is have a realistic, humble view of yourself. Know that God, if God has given you some talent, some ability, even if he has blessed you financially or unlike many of us, blessed you with good looks, then praise him for it and, and, and don't make it complex. Just see yourself as being blessed by God and give it all to him. Right? Give it all to him. It's not. So what's the difficulty here? The difficulty, again, is that it's hard to do that. It's hard to overcome the flesh and, and just be yourself, be who God created you to be, and bless and, and seek to bless Him through that. Jesus even said at the end of this, For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. The principle is be humble, not prideful. All right, let's go down, skip down to verse 12. And he also, and he said all. And then said he also to him that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again and a recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just." We all appreciate friends. We all appreciate being able to fellowship with people who have our our interests, who find us interesting, who who bless us in some way. As Jesus is talking, he's it says he's he said to him that bade him. So he's talking to the guy who invited him to dinner. And he says to him these things. When you make a feast, uh, I, I'll just throw this in. When you make a feast next time, don't invite these people that are here today that you've invited now, your friends, your relatives. 
uh, your business associates who are wealthy and influential. He says, instead, when you make a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. Now, who are those folks? Those are the lower echelons of society. Those are the folks who are dependent on the government uh, for their financial well-being. Those are the people who can't bless you, in other words. What is a principle here, and why is it complex? Well, it's not complex, really. The fact of the matter is that what Jesus is saying to us is that we are selfish. And when we associate, when we fellowship with other people, there's, there's nothing wrong with desiring good fellowship. I don't think that's the principle here. But the principle is that in our relationships, we seek to be blessed. We're the center of it. We're not seeking to bless others. That's the problem. So when we seek to bless ourselves, we seek out those who will bless us naturally, financially, uh, with good times, uh, with interesting conversation, with financial uh, input, maybe. Um, and the list goes on and on and on. But the focus is me. The focus isn't my guests. I'm not necessarily seeking to bless those who I have invited. I'm seeking to bless myself, to elevate my own station in life, to become, to maybe get a leg up, to get an insider trading tip, whatever it might be. So the principle here, again, we, we, we make excuses and we say, well, you know, our, our friendships and our relationships are complex. And so uh, these are things that are expected. They're social norms and so forth and so on. Again, Jesus is telling us, don't do the don't 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 make excuse for not doing the difficult. It may be hard, but don't use complexity or other excuses as a reason to not do them. Um, back a couple chapters to Luke 12. This is another teaching of Jesus that hits home to us in our contemporary experience. Not that these other ones don't, I just don't have time for all of them. But Luke 12, starting at verse 4. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed after after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it will not be forgiven. Then when they bring you into the synagogues and unto the magistrates and powers, take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in that same hour what ye ought to say. Here's, here's the upshot of this. Jesus says, 
We fear men, and therefore we refuse to identify publicly as Christians at times. We don't want our public witness uh, to interfere with our personal life. We make witnessing to others, therefore, something complex. Well, I don't know their background, and I don't know what to say, and I'm not sure that I can answer all of their questions, and, and, and. And Jesus says, look, the principle is very clear. You have been given the gift of salvation through Christ. Share it with others. This isn't complex. It's difficult. It's difficult because we fear men. We fear what they may do to us. We fear what they may say of us. We fear what they may think of us. But the, but the, but the basic principle is that whosoever will may come and we are God's ambassadors among unbelievers on this earth. So don't make it complex. Don't make excuses that way. Just acknowledge it's difficult and then work on that aspect of it. It's difficult. It's not the other person that's making it difficult. It's you in your mind that's making it difficult. That's what you have to overcome, not the other person. You let God worry about them. You worry about you. Because, Jesus says, he that denieth me will also be denied of my Father before the holy angels. Wow. If you go to the next chapter, Luke 13, begin reading, well, read verses 6 and 7 with me. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then he said, said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? What is complex about failing to be productive for the kingdom of God? Well, life is, our human nature is, self is, it's complicated. You know, we've got so many things going on in life. Um, we have family, we have our businesses to attend to, uh, we have um, you know, social events, we've got all these things, and there's only 24 hours in a day, and I have to sleep sometime. And so all of these things make life very difficult or very complicated and so forth and so on. And it's hard to squeeze in the time to be productive for the kingdom of God because of that. I mean, life just gets in the way. Well, again, the principle of being productive in the kingdom is not complex. It's difficult. Managing our time in a in, a, in, a, in an efficient way can be kind of complex, but the reality is that the principle is very simple. God expects a return on His investment. And what kind of investment has He made in you? Has He given you advantages? Has He given you blessings? Has He given you life? Has He given you time? Has He given you brains, intellect? Has He given you... Uh, helpers, family. Has he get? God's given us so many things. He's made such an investment in each and every one of us. Why do we make excuses then about being unproductive for the kingdom? 
And let me ask this question. If on this day or this week or this month or this year that you have been unproductive for the kingdom, have you been productive for yourself? Maybe contrast that. And then we begin to see that the vast majority of our time is being spent in being productive in some way, but typically for ourselves, for those we love, for those who can do something for us. Productivity for the kingdom, Jesus says in verses 6 and 7, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. Who is that certain man? That's God. What is the fig tree? It's something he has invested in. He bought the tree. He spent the time planting it. He hired a farmer manage, farm manager uh, to do whatever needed to be done, to spray it, to prune it, to fertilize it, blah, blah, blah. He's invested in the tree. He comes to the tree for the third year and he says, you know what? I didn't see any tree, any fruit on this last year. I didn't see any fruit on it the previous year. This thing ought to be productive. Cut it down. It's cumbering the ground. In other words, it's taking nutrients and moisture from others, and it's also taking space, and it's not being productive. And what did the dresser of his vineyard say? Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. That tells us that the Lord has been patient with us. He's been patient with us, but he's put a lot into us. Let's give him a return on his investment. He expects it of us. The principle of being productive in the kingdom is not complex. You go back to the 12th chapter again, verse 1. In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod upon one another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, Beware ye the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore whatsoever ye have spoken in the darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the rooftops. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. What is more hypocritical than, than pretending to be a Christian but not living out the principles of Christianity? What is more hypocritical than being proclaiming yourself a Christian publicly but not living out the principles of Christianity that we find in the Scripture? Jesus is very clear on these principles. And we tend to, again, make excuses just like the men Jesus was talking to and about earlier when he said they excused themselves. Humans are complex, there's no question. Relationships are complex. Life is complex. There's lots of complexities that we all have to deal with every day. What I'm trying to get us to focus on is this. The principles of Scripture are not complex. They're difficult. And making the excuse that our lives are complex and therefore we can't get around to or we can't see our way to doing or we haven't figured out how to do these things is 
Simply that, it's an excuse and it's hypocritical. If we are going to buy into the whole Christian thing whereby we say we are sinners saved by the grace of God and that He has laid foundational principles for our lives, then we also have to acknowledge that those are not simply theoretical, but they are expectations of God to which we are to live up to. And so when Jesus says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, he's also saying that their hypocrisies are going to be exposed. There is nothing said or done that will not be exposed someday. God will expose them. That should make us sit up and listen. He's going to expose our hypocrisies. He might expose them if we're blessed. He might expose them while we are still living and have time to address them. He might expose them after there is no time to address them. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. So then, I want to look at Luke, the 13th chapter again, in verses 8 and 9, because there is blessing in all of this. Chapter 13, verses 8 and 9, And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig it about and dung it, and, it bear fruit, and if it bear fruit well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. That simply is going back to the parable uh, of, the, of the unproductive tree. God's patience with us is such that these hypocrisies that we live, that we somehow make excuse for, we make room for in our lives, God is patient. He's much more patient than we are, certainly much more patient than I am. And he gives us time to correct these things. He gives us time to stop making excuses. He gives us time to see ourselves in reality. He gives us time to see what our shortcomings and failings are. And he gives us time to make corrections to them. And that is why the dresser of the vineyard says, Lord, let it alone this year also till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, that is the objective. That's why I'm bearing, or that's why I'm digging about and fertilizing it. In other words, I'm going to put some more uh, into you. And that's a message I think God, God gives to us. He, he's not so impatient that he doesn't see what our potential is. If he saw what our potential is and it was zero, he very well, he wouldn't put any assets into us, but he does. He gives us time. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us experiences. He gives us his patience, his love, his grace, his power, his Holy Spirit. He gives us all of these things for the purpose of being productive for his kingdom. Let's use them for that. Because the blessing is that the Lord knows and the Lord sees and the Lord is patient with us. And he gives us these blessings so that we might not be hypocritical, so that we might be that we might live in blessed marriages, in blessed relationships, that we might have a relationship with God that is not hypocritical, that is what it ought to be. That we see humility in all of these aspects of character that God calls us to for what they are, 
blessings to us and glory and honor to him. May he add his blessings is our prayer this morning.